Welcome everyone to Check Yourself, a podcast brought to you by the Community Health Education Center at Salem Health Hospital and Salem Health Foundation. I'm Leah Burkhart, one of the health educators here on staff. And today what I'm going to be covering is a, well, I mean, you may already know this, but February is Heart Month. So you can imagine a group full of health educators getting very excited about that. So in today's episode, what I'm going to be doing is covering some of the basics as it relates to heart-healthy habits and behaviors that you may want to implement if you're not doing that already. In addition, though, I'm going to give a little bit of a, oh, a sneak peek at what you can look forward to in the weeks ahead, because we're bringing in a number of guest speakers who are going to be speaking to topics like heart failure, as well as you know, a number of procedures that if you are experiencing any problems as it relates to your heart health, you might want to explore. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Okay, so to begin with, in celebration of Heart Month, I thought it would be fun. I'm a health educator. Of course, I think this would be, quote, fun. Maybe this isn't fun for you, but hopefully it's interesting. I thought it would be useful to cover, you know, we all, for the most part, have an idea of what was meant by healthy habits. Most of us know it's probably good for you to eat vegetables. Most of us know that moving is probably good. Most of us know sleep is probably important. What I wanted to do, though, is kind of do a bit more of a dive into just how some of these behaviors relate directly to heart health. So to begin with, I'll be talking about behaviors that are known to help facilitate a healthy heart. And then after that, I want to do a bit of a sneak peek in what you can look forward to in the weeks ahead. So starting with the tips. Let's say you don't know the status of your heart health. And the reason you don't know is that you're fairly certain that you're fine. But maybe you have heart disease in your family. Maybe you simply want to maintain the heart health you have and you want it to remain intact. Maybe you're just kind of on the hunt for something to focus on and improve your health and wellness and you're looking for ideas. Whatever the reason may be. As I mentioned a few times already, February being heart month, it seems useful to take a look at some of the things we can integrate into our lives that are known to help with our help our heart. <laughs> so to begin with, you know, a lot of people assume that with heart health, that immediately we go to, oh, I need to be running or I need to be, I don't know, doing some absurd quantity of burpees. But actually, one of the first things that we jump into is don't smoke. I know, I know, this isn't a very exciting topic, but why? When we think about smoking, most of us think about smoking as it relates to cancer and really specifically to lung cancer, or perhaps we think of emphysema. We think of lung challenges. We think of anything that we get an infection and the infection hits our lungs. These are the things we're most likely to associate with smoking. But it turns out when we smoke, it damages our heart as well. And it's, as it turns out, one of the highest corollaries. So if 
one is a smoker, they're more likely to suffer from heart disease even than they are from lung cancer. So there is a direct connection. So one of the best things you can do for your heart is to stop smoking or use smokeless tobacco. Even if you're not a smoker, it's also just be sure, you know, good to also avoid secondhand smoke because that too comes with its challenges. So, but why? Well, first of all, the chemicals in tobacco can damage the heart and it can damage blood vessels. Basically, cigarette smoke reduces the oxygen in the blood. When you have less oxygen in the blood, that increases your blood pressure. And then when your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up because the heart has to work harder to supply more oxygen to the body and brain. It's not just getting a ready supply when we're smoking. So the good news here is that the risk of heart disease starts to drop in as little as a day after quitting. So, you know, as it relates to things like lung cancer or any other elements that can come online as a potential risk, so many physicians or or educators will say, oh, you won't really be out of the clear for 10 years after you quit. But as it relates to your heart health, 24 hours after you've quit, you're already seeing benefits. Your heart is already getting a reprieve. Because again, immediately you're getting as a percentage, more oxygen pumping through your bloodstream. So no matter how long or how much you smoked in the past, you'll start reaping the rewards as soon as you quit. It's pretty cool. And because we are the Community Health Education Center and we are selfishly hoping to promote, let's imagine you are a smoker and you're thinking, yeah, I know, I know. And maybe you even heard our more recent episode about the challenge of change and the stages of change. And just as a really quick refresher there, there's pre-contemplation, which is either I don't know what I don't know, or yeah, 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 whatever, not interested. If that's where you're at right now, go ahead and just tune me out for a second. Then there's contemplation. Well, I'm thinking about it, maybe, we'll see. Then there's preparation. I'm doing the thing to get geared up to do the thing. (laughs) Then there's action. Then there's relapse possibly. And then there's maintenance. And then I should say that relapse one can happen at any time. Just a really quick refresher there. So let's imagine you're either in preparation stage or you're even in contemplation stage, you're thinking about it, but you're not sure, or you're preparing to do it, but you'd really like support. There is a class called freedom from tobacco or freedom from smoking. Uh, you can look it up. And if you go to our website, www.salemhealth.org slash check and you click on classes let's imagine you want to quit smoking but you're like the rest of us pinned at home and feeling like your own little island and would really like some support before you commit you can get some support here Uh, some of these classes are offered virtually they're live virtual but nevertheless Uh, so you have support here please take advantage all right so moving on down the line What else is good for your heart? Yes, that's right. Of course, I was going to say it. Movement. Sorry, folks. There's no getting out of this one. Yeah. As it happens, I'm one of those irritating people that really loves to move. uh, And I'm one of those irritating people that can't sit still for very long. Honestly, I'm sitting here recording a podcast and I'm pretty sure my right foot is twitching uncontrollably. And I didn't drink any caffeine today. That's just how I am. So if you're one of those folks, you can go ahead and feel very smug right now as it relates to your heart health because any kind of movement, turns out, is great for your heart. 
Why? Because the heart itself is a muscle. Every time you, especially if you're doing cardio, which is running, jumping, playing, rolling around with your dog, dancing with your towel, you know, you're out of the shower and dancing to your your hairbrush or something. You know, cardio doesn't have to be painful. It's just anytime you're moving around enough where all of a sudden you're going to have to take a breath really quick because that's cardio. So regular daily physical activity lowers the risk of heart disease. Physical activity helps control your weight as well, which we'll get to a little bit later down on the line, but it can reduce your chances of developing other conditions that put a strain on the heart, like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and type 2 diabetes. So really quickly, why? (laughs) So I first want to just kind of go through how the way we live can influence our heart health. And I want to put a caveat here. A lot of what we'll be talking about later on in the weeks ahead are going to be procedures that'll help those who are in the latter stages of um, heart concerns, you know. And while it is absolutely true that our behaviors impact our heart health, it can influence it, this is by no means our attempt at saying if your heart is under strain, that it is your fault. That's healthism. It's not okay. Really, this is just to say that these are behaviors which will help influence the likelihood of reducing your heart risk or heart disease risk. Just wanted to say that. All right, so let's just talk a little bit about the heart doing its thing. The heart is pumping blood through the system, recycling the old, rejuvenating out for the new, getting oxygen all throughout the system. So there are certain things, though, that can tax or or make it more challenging for your heart to do this. One example is smoking, because when you smoke, as we just mentioned, less oxygen is, our body gets less access to oxygen, which means our heart has to work harder. No good. So if you quit smoking, already you're doing yourself an incredible service. Next one is, well, let's say that you're under a lot of stress or you're eating a diet that is uh, high in sugar. Let's start with the sugar. Anytime I'm eating foods that are high in refined carbohydrates and sugars, what starts to happen is that sugar flows immediately into the bloodstream. So a really useful analogy I like to bring in here is to imagine that you're at a water park and there's a lifeguard on duty. And so the lifeguard is there's got one guy at the top of one of those water slides you see at the water park and then there's one at the bottom they usually look sort of bored and you know their job is to wave people up put up their hand to say stop and then let them know when to go so if you do that all day long I imagine you'd be bored too having said that there's probably hundreds potentially even thousands of people who go down that slide on a given day or in a given week But the thing is, only one at a time ever goes each moment. So at any given time, the slide only has to put up with the weight of one human being. They structured it that way. The slide is only intended to hold about that much weight. So even though tons of people are going down the slide, they're going at a rate that the slide can accommodate. If instead, let's imagine a bunch of kids got kind of cocky and thought, oh, we're going to get cute. We're going to link arms and all go down the slide at the same time. Wouldn't that be fun? Who cares about those silly lifeguards anyway? Well, the problem here is those slides weren't designed to accommodate all of that weight at once. 
in a similar way, our arteries are designed to accommodate a certain amount of sugar at any given time, but not a whole bunch and not all at once. So if I eat the equivalent of a refined goodie, and when I say refined, I mean white fluffy stuff, white pasta, white rice, white mashed potatoes, white bready things, so white pastries. And I also mean refined sugars. And that includes all the sugars. If you're thinking, oh, but I'm different. I eat honey. Yeah, sorry. Honey is still sugar. There are some benefits to honey that might be, you know, give it an edge on the white sugar and syrups and so on. But at the end of the day, as it relates to heart disease, as it relates to diabetes, as it relates to those elements, sugar is sugar. If there's a lot of sugar in it, this is the thing that you can expect to happen. A bunch of sugar goes in your bloodstream all at once. Much like all of those kids that were linking arms and going down the slide, now you're putting strain on a system that wasn't ever meant to hold all of that at the same time. So to juxtapose this with whole foods, let's imagine that you had a bunch of fruits and vegetables. You're still eating a lot of carbs. Any plant food has carbohydrates in it. Carbs are not inherently good or bad. They are just a source of energy. And as it happens, they're a pretty good source of energy. But what's nice about whole foods, I don't mean the store, I mean fruit, vegetable, a whole grain, a whole starch. What's nice about them is they have fiber, and in many cases they might even have some protein. Fiber in food acts like the lifeguard at those water parks. Am I eating a bunch of carbs? Sure. But what fiber does is slow down the rate at which the sugar leaks into the bloodstream at any given moment. So this is why if you have, say, pancakes, you're full for about 30 minutes, and then about an hour later, you're hungry again. That's because what happens when you have those refined sugars, I eat the refined sugar, there's no fiber to slow down the rate at which that sugar floods the bloodstream. It's just all getting hit all at once. I feel great for that 30 minutes because it takes about 30 minutes for me to digest it or you know, eat it, digest it, and for the sugar to assimilate into the blood. When it's a whole food, the fiber slows it down. So now it's only going to take more like an hour to maybe two hours, depending on how much fiber. So this is why whole foods are better. When you have a bunch of refined stuff, not so great. If... However, I take in all of that refined stuff and then I move, different story, I'll get there. So let's imagine that I'm eating a bunch of sugary refined foods and my body is constantly having to do this thing where it gets flooded with sugar and then, well, I can't just hang out there, can't just remain in high sugar land. Think about what sugar does to water. If you put sugar in water, it gets thick. Well, that means your heart now has to pump thicker fluid heart disease. It's having to work harder than it should. The other problem is that sugar is very grainy, like an exfoliant. So you can imagine this nice, thick, exfoliating substance just floating around and (laughs) chafing at the arteries in your body. And at the same time, high sugar foods are inflammatory, which is fine because your body can produce this really cool thing that reduces inflammation called cholesterol. Well, here's the issue here. I'm producing a lot of cholesterol, And so now there's all these little guys that are floating around in the bloodstream, sort of like little firemen. They're ready to put out fires. But 
just like in traffic, if you have, I don't know, 10 fire trucks to show and not all of them show up on one street to knock out one fire, no one's going to be able to knock out the fire because there's going to be a traffic jam. Same concept here. This is why so many people talk about cholesterol being an issue. It's actually not something you want to make go away. Like that would be as if you would, that would be the same as saying, oh, every time I see someone with, you know, every time I see a fire, I see a fireman. Let's get rid of the fireman. Well, no, that's silly. But at the same time, you wouldn't say, oh, there's a fire. We need 10 fire trucks here. No, now you have a traffic jam. So you eat a bunch of refined processed foods. Your inflammation goes up. You're producing more cholesterol. Your blood sugar goes up. So your heart is pumping this thick blood. No good. So what does your body do? It produces insulin. Insulin opens like a key. Every cell in the body has all of that sugar going into the cells and presto, your blood sugar comes back down, which is great, except, except, well, now you're hungry again because <laughs> your blood sugar slammed back down. So this is how heart disease can develop. Diet is one thing that can contribute. Stress is another, by the way, because that can increase your inflammation, uh, as is not getting enough sleep. There's a number of things not getting enough sleep can do to the heart. So I'm just giving kind of a broad overview here of where things can go awry. Now, this brings me to tips that help us. The first tip I mentioned was reducing smoking. The next one is movement. Why movement? Well, number one, because the heart is a muscle, when you move, you're working it, so it's getting stronger. But also, that dynamic I just mentioned where, oh, I take in all of the sugar and refined carbohydrates and refined foods, ugh. But if I move, I'm using it. So it's no biggie. Same with stress. Stress produces adrenaline and cortisol. Cortisol does what? It sends sugar that were in the cells back out into the bloodstream. And it does that for our benefit because our poor little bodies think, oh dear, you're stressed. There must be a predator nearby. Here, let me help you out and give you some energy to either fight it or run away from it. But unfortunately, if we're stressed and in a cubicle or say, I don't know, locked down in a pandemic, I mean, I'm just shooting out ideas here, that's not necessarily going to be available in the same way. If you can move your body, though, in any capacity, whether you ate a bunch of sugary goodies or are feeling a lot of stress, or if you're a human being, perhaps both, if you move you use that energy. You're capitalizing on that extra sugar just floating around. This is why you see marathon runners eating bagels in the morning. So if you're in that position where you're thinking, you know what, I do not want to hear more about the things that I shouldn't eat. Well, one thing you can do to help yourself, irrespective of what you do or do not eat, is just move your body more often. Because what you're doing is taking whatever energy you're consuming and you're, you're, you're burning it out. So how much exercise are we talking here? Um, oh, before I go there too, another thing to remember about physical activity, when you move your body more, you increase a certain type of cholesterol called, well, HDL, so high density. You don't need to know the details there, but here's what I'll tell you. What it appears to be true about HDL cholesterol is that it moves the rest of the cholesterol. So it doesn't it's not going to get stuck or lodged. It just moves the rest of the cholesterol through. So I'm exercising. My HDL is going up, which means my cholesterol ratio, HDL healthy to LDL lousy, is going such in a healthy direction. 
Woohoo. And my heart is getting added exercise, added assistance. So all kinds of good things happening here. But how much do we need to be doing? Dun, dun, dun. Um, If you haven't been active for a while, you may need to slowly work your way up to these goals. So please don't feel like this is, you know, it's now or never, do or die. This is not a place where we're going to be doing any kind of encouraging, punishing behavior. Life is hard enough. Be gentle. Um, Having said that, ideally, in a perfect world, you want to be doing 150 minutes a week of moderate aerobic exercise, such as walking at a brisk pace, jogging if you have capacity for that, swimming, biking, again, dancing to your favorite song, into a hairbrush in the privacy of your own bedroom while you're locked up in a pandemic, any of that. And or you can do 75 minutes a week of vigorous aerobic activity. So now we're moving away from just walking briskly and more into the running. You know, now you're not just, you know, kind of cruising around and beep bopping to a song, but maybe you're even including some burpees. Like we're talking vigorous. And then in addition, two or more strength training sessions per week. Because when you do more strength training, you increase your muscle mass and your muscle mass makes you stronger it also is going to put you in a position where you burn more calories because muscles require more calories to be sustained than fat, just in case you were curious. So that's not something you have to do starting right now. If you're not moving at all, even moving five minutes is an improvement. Ten minutes, you're running laps around the guy sitting on the couch. So, And you want to make sure that whatever it is you're doing is something you're, even if you don't love it, It is inoffensive. None of this, no pain, no gain. It's much more no pain, no pain. You know, think about how kids move. Kids are constantly fidgeting, moving, futzing, flying around. But they would never say to themselves, I am doing my daily exercise activity. They only ever say, I'm being. I'm being a human. And human bodies were just designed to move. So think about the things you actually enjoy getting out into the garden perhaps, going on walks maybe, going on hikes in nature, you know, just moving in whatever capacity you have the ability to do and get some pleasure from. So now we're moving into the eating a heart healthy diet. Some of this I've already, you know, talked a little bit about, but basically heart healthy diet includes vegetables and fruit When talking about fruits and vegetables, lots of people try and make it as though vegetables and fruit are equivalent. I would say, sorry, not true. I know you're bummed. Um, What I often say to folks in this area is eat as many fruits as you want. Just try and have twice as many vegetables. Because what's nice about vegetables is you get a ton of fiber and very little sugar. With fruit, you're also getting some fiber. It's just that there's a lot of sugar involved too. But if you're not eating any fruits or vegetables and you're saying to me, hey, all I've got in me to give, is to eat more fruit. That's fantastic. Eat the fruit. But if what you're aiming for is sort of optimal health, I often will say, do what you can to make the ratio two to one. Two vegetables for every one fruit. Uh, other foods that are really healthy are beans or legumes, very high in fiber, also high in protein. Lean meats and fish, if you happen to be omnivorous. Uh, Low-fat or fat-free dairy foods, if you are uh, not dairy, if you don't have any issues with dairy. Whole grains. And when I mean whole grains, I don't mean cookie that says made from whole grains. I mean an actual whole grain. So brown rice, amaranth, 
buckwheat. It's, it's a whole wheat, a whole grain, a whole thing. And now healthy fats. Uh, olive oil is a great example. One thing I'll say about fats, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of controversy here. Oh, saturated fats are bad, unsaturated are good, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it really honestly depends on what it is you're trying to do with the fats. So if you're cooking in very high heat, oddly enough, saturated fats might be better because they're more stable as a fat. And so they're less likely to get rancid or be overheated. And so then in that case, you would use butter or coconut oil. But if you're pouring it over a salad or if you're you know dipping into like bread when you go to Italian restaurants, that's when it's probably best to use the unsaturated oil oils. They don't get solid when they're cooled down. You don't have to remember to do that per se. It's just a tip. But the fats you absolutely want to avoid, by the way, are trans fats. There's really no amount that's good for you. At least with saturated fats, you can make a case, but trans fats, nope. So then to that end, what do you might, what do you want to consider limiting? You'll notice I mentioned sugar. Um, also salt, because when you have a high proportion of salt in your diet, that too is going to increase your blood pressure. That's hard on the heart. And what I would say too here is it's not just about the amount of salt you consume. It's also about how much you consume relative to potassium. And what's high in potassium? Fruits and vegetables. So if you're eating a bunch of fruits and vegetables and you're not taking in a lot of processed foods, you're kind of taking care of it without having to think much about it. It's pretty cool. Uh, processed carbohydrates, you'll remember I said the white fluffy stuff, and I just explained why. A lot of fluffy stuff, the white refined fluffy things, it makes the inflammation go up. It makes you produce more cholesterol. It's already exfoliating all of the you know, arteries in your system, so it's making it just perfect for that cholesterol that you're building to get lodged in. It's really if you're looking for heart disease, refined fluffy things are really where it's at. And of course, trans fats. So if you're trying to eat healthy, more fruits and vegetables, beans, lean meats if you're omnivorous, uh, low fat and fat-free dairy foods if you can tolerate dairy, whole grains, healthy fats. Reduce salt, sugar, processed carb things. Oh, alcohol also. I want to reduce alcohol. And saturated fat in moderation, really that one, there's a little bit more controversy around. So I highly recommend speaking with your physician or your, your dietitian about that. Um, but on the whole, unsaturated fats appear to be much easier on the heart. Okay. So all of that, having talked about exercise, having talked about diet moves us into healthy weight. It turns out being overweight, especially around the middle of the body, increases the risk of heart disease. So that excess weight can lead to conditions that increase the chance of developing high blood pressure, high cholesterol, type 2 diabetes. And a big part of the reason for that is simply because if you're accumulating weight around your midsection, that particular area appears that the fat cells there will start to behave like their own hormone factory which is very inconvenient because the hormones that they have a ha habit of producing are those that make us more hungry. So as we're gaining weight, we're getting hungrier. And so then when people say, oh, well, it's easy, just eat less, that becomes a monstrosity to have to tackle. So it's not just about the weight itself. When people say to you, oh, just weigh less, that's not in and of itself a useful strategy. It's more about your body composition. So... This isn't to say you can't use BMI, but BMI, as an example, is just height and weight. A more useful reference would probably be your waist circumference. So 
Uh, for men, you want your waist circumference to be 40 inches or less. That makes it sound like zero is an option. So you, a reasonable number that is less than 40. Uh, and for women, we want it at or below 35 inches. So even a small weight loss can be beneficial. Reducing weight by even just 3% or 5% seems to decrease certain fats in the blood, so triglycerides. Um, it can help you lower blood sugar, reduces the risk of type 2 diabetes. Um, and here's the thing to be really mindful of, though. It's not just about the weight loss. It's about its relationship to the behaviors associated with weight loss. So the same kind of person who's eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, legumes, nuts and seeds, healthy fats, and is exercising their body you know, pretty regularly is probably going to lose a small fraction of weight. And in particular, they'll change their body composition. They're going to increase their muscle mass and they're going to decrease their fat percentage. And those same folks might not actually lose much, if any, weight. Maybe they only lose 3 to 5% in total weight, but their body composition has changed. They look leaner. They're in smaller clothes, but a greater portion of their body is weight or is muscle as opposed to fat. And that leads to heart health. So it's really important not to get too caught up in numbers here. It's also important to acknowledge that when it comes to, you know, weight loss, there is so much research out there right now talking about how complicated that really is. So when people try and make that just really simplified and say, eat less, move more, it is more complicated. Yes, eating less unhealthy foods and eating more healthy foods on the whole seems to help most people most of the time. That's just always going to be true. I have yet to meet a person who says to me, man, I started eating more vegetables and I feel way worse than I ever have. Um, maybe at first, but generally speaking, everyone comes back and goes, wow, I'm, I have regular digestion. digestion. I'm eliminating regularly. I seem to have more energy. Why wouldn't I do this sooner? <laughs> and then if they're exercising their body more often, you're improving your mental health, you're improving your physical health. It's all good stuff. Okay, so with all that having been said, another thing that moving your body frequently and balancing your blood sugar by eating whole foods will do for you is improve your quality of sleep, which is great news because good sleep is associated with better heart health. People who don't get enough sleep have a higher risk of obesity, high blood pressure, heart attack, diabetes, and depression. So, you know, Ariana Huffington knew what she was talking about. You really can sleep your way to the top. People who get their sleep needs met are more productive. Uh, most adults need at least seven hours of sleep a night, and that's seven hours of sleep. That's not seven hours in bed with five hours of sleep. That's more like eight to nine hours in bed with seven hours of sleep. So you really want to make sleep a priority in your life. It's probably the lowest hanging fruit that's going to give you a super big bang for your buck. Next, managing your stress. Some people come in with stress that, you know, they, some people cope with stress in unhealthy ways like overeating, drinking, or smoking. But a better way to manage stress would be, you know, engaging in physical activity because you're using your stress to your advantage. Relaxation techniques, meditation. And by the way, speaking of meditation, if what you're trying to achieve is getting better quality of sleep and trying to manage your stress, if you were to go to the salemhealth.org slash check website and click on classes. We are hosting a mindfulness-based stress, stress reduction series. We'll be, we're launching one this week and 
we can you can look forward to seeing them all throughout the year. You know, it's such a powerful way to help support heart health. And then last but not least, getting regular health screenings. So, you know, keeping an eye on your blood pressure, keeping an eye on your cholesterol levels. In case you're curious, uh, in general, if you're fasting, it's ideal to have your total cholesterol under 200. And if you're a man, you want your HDL to be at least 40 and your HDL, if you're a woman, to be at least 50. These are broad stroke stats. So it's, you know, yes, there's some wiggle room between, but as a general rule. And then type 2 diabetes screenings. So that's, you might be getting your HbA1c test. You might be getting a glucose test. Just keeping an eye on these things when you go in for your annual physicals. And you'll notice this come up, by the way, as I start bringing in guest speakers who work specifically with patients in, in, the, film, in the realm of cardiac health. Whether it's, you know, trying to, you're looking at different procedures that can be done or whether you're just trying to, you're, you're interested in what specialists have to say about heart health. Every single one of them will report, you know, in a lot of cases, people don't even know that their heart is getting taxed. They don't know that their heart is struggling. It's not like the heart sends out a little, like, you know, text message. Hey, hey, buddy, need some help. But there are some signs that you might, you know, like if you're getting shortness of breath more frequently than you're used to, uh, if you are getting screened, because this is what they'll say, these specialists who come in, they'll say one of the best ways to, to detect and identify a problem that we can then treat with some of the procedures on site here are, they, they happen because they came in for a physical. They did a regular screening. They noticed their blood pressure going up because they were checking it. Um, they came in for an annual exam and got their cholesterol scores taken and were noticing the levels go up. So in many cases, heart disease is, it creeps in slowly. And one of the best things about being human is that we can adapt to just about anything. But one of the worst things about being human is that you can adapt to just about anything. So often we are moving ever so gradually in the direction of heart disease but we don't know it because we've adapted to every small change in our bodies and we've brushed it off as just being part of aging or whatever. So one really powerful tool you can have in your arsenal is just a direct and regular connection with your doctor. Whew, that was a lot. So in the weeks moving forward, as I promised, we'll be talking about a number of things. Uh, we'll be covering different, uh, we'll, we'll be talking about heart failure we're going to have a cardiologist come in and speak to that. And we'll also be talking about different procedures that you may not even know exist. Like when you think about you know, when, when you're given a diagnosis of heart disease or when you're told, hey, you're in this such and such a population and we really think you should explore such and such a procedure. A lot of people feel a lot of self-shame and judgment. So they might be thinking, man, I'm doing all of this healthy stuff. I didn't, you know, I don't smoke. I move. I eat healthy. I maintain a healthy weight. Like I'm doing all the good things. Sometimes it's just genetics. Sometimes it just happens. So what these specialists will kind of do a deep dive into is, you know, number one, don't blame yourself. It's okay. And number two, there might be procedures that can support you and really increase your quality of life. And so they'll go over that. I look forward to kind of exploring that with y'all. 
If you have any questions, let's say you're listening to this podcast and you're like, wait, 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 you mentioned a class. What's that? I, I, I want to take MBSR. That seems cool. Or, hey, yeah, I, I want to know more about nutrition. Can you hook me up with a dietitian? Or, hey, I, I noticed you mentioned something about weight management and I've read a lot of research that seems to make that topic very controversial. Can I do more of a deep dive in that conversation? Whatever it might be, you can always check in with us. Uh, check uh, www.salemhealth.org slash check C-H-E-C. And you can give us a call, 503-814-2432. We're in the office, 8.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday. All right. Bye-bye.